Vulnerable Podcast is back for its fourth season and this time we'll be talking about purpose. In the last season, I asked people to identify the gifts that they received from their life experiences and what became really obvious is that people often use their gifts to create careers driven by their purpose. And so this season, we got deeper. I'll be interviewing guests that talk about the nuanced experiences that connect vulnerability and purpose. So don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you love this podcast and use the hashtag VulnerablePodcast on social media. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Vulnerable Podcast. Today I'm with Leila Saad, an author um, of the Me and White Supremacy White Work. Do you call that? A, do you call it a workbook? It, so it started off as a workbook, but I don't yeah. call it a workbook anymore, but it still is a workbook. Yeah, I think this sometimes is, people get confused yeah, and they, they get the book thinking they're going to be reading a book and they open it and they're like, oh, I have to do the work in this book. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I, I still see it as a workbook. Yeah. Um, Leila is an author, a speaker, a teacher on topics of race, identity, leadership, personal transformation and social change. You're also a New York Times bestseller. What book? And a Sunday Times bestseller. And a Sunday Times bestseller. Yes. Claim it. Yes. We got to celebrate it. We got to celebrate it. It's amazing. Um, how are you doing today? How, 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 is your, how is your whole vibe? So I'm in what I call my writing cave. Like mm. I'm in my process. I'm very much hibernated right now. Very like insular. Not really on social media except to, except to share important things that I need to share. Yeah. Um, because I'm working on the Young Readers edition of Me and White Supremacy, um, which is, you know, I, what I thought would be just an adaptation of the original book, um, but uh, that I'm seeing as I'm, as I'm doing the work of it, it's becoming something else. It's okay. still, it's kind of hard to describe and I don't want to kind of give too much away because yeah. I'm still really yeah really listening to what's coming through for it but it's a it's it's its own in the same way that me and white supremacy was its own body of work that mm. you know required me to really like pull from all the parts of myself and really research and really you know study it's the same um yet partly because it's for children but also because there are other considerations i need to bear in mind about how the book will be used who it will be used by and how it can best uh, how it can best empower young people. So it's a really it's I'm very much like if you if you could see me in my day like I'm I'm in my home office I'm at various like I'm sometimes on the floor sometimes on the sofa mm. bed sometimes watching videos scrolling notes on my um, I've got these little heart post-it notes that I'm mm -hmm. scrolling mad notes everywhere and just um, you know and, and reading a lot as well and really trying to get the big picture of it um, before I start filling in the details. So it's, a, it's an interesting process. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, you talk a lot about being a good ancestor. And yeah. so I feel like it's, the weight is a, probably a little bit heavier when you're yes. writing for children. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. When you said that, that's what I'm picking up. I'm just like, no, like adults... Adults can pick themselves up and, and figure That's their right. way through this because, you know, we have better reasoning skills and we're a bit, hopefully better critical thinkers. <laughs> like, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. But with yeah. children, it's like, no, it's literal. And so you need to and be able to Children are, are literal and they absorb everything like a sponge. Yeah. So, you know, I feel 
I mean, I always feel a great sense of responsibility with my words and with my work, but definitely, like you said, even more so with kids, because the, the seeds that we plant in young people um, mm -hmm. really inform how they see themselves and how they see the world. Yeah. And I don't take that lightly and I don't want to um, rush a process um, mm -hmm. to meet, you know, demand or a deadline or something when this is something yeah. really, really important. Yeah. And did this, the, the kind of call to do this book come from um, people saying, how do I talk to my children about race? Because I've seen that quite a bit out there. That, that question has been there, but actually it was in the process of... Um, uh, signing my publishing contract for the adult version that my publisher was like, we would also like you to do a young readers version. Right. And, uh, and so at the time I was like, Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Again, thinking, okay, we just take this and we adapt it. We just make the, the language <laughs> yeah. for young kids. And it's like, no, it's <laughs> not what yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So that, that is also really interesting as well. That kind of, um, I just think like for me, 2020, like has been about alignment and synchronicities and, yeah. and that type of thing happening, like those moments happening over and over again, where you're like, yeah. oh, there was a plan. Oh, this was going to happen. So that was going to yeah. happen. And do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's also because part of it is also because of the time that we're in now. Yeah. Po post George Floyd, we are in an entirely different world. Mm -hmm. um, and a conversation with kids about racism now is becoming, people are really hungry for it in a way that they weren't before. Mm -hmm. um, especially white people, right? Yeah. White parents and white teachers weren't demanding it in the way that they may be demanding it now. Mm -hmm. And so that really, that really switches things because, you know, we've been sort of in each other's circles for a couple of years now. And, you know, when I started talking about racism and white supremacy, that was a different world. That was a different yeah. time. Mm -hmm. Having the conversation then was seen as you're attacking white people. You know, it wasn't the mainstream conversation that was being had. Um, you really had to do a lot of convincing mm. um, to, and not to people who, I self-identified as, as racist or self-identified as not liking people. Well -meaning. Well -meaning. Right. But the well-meaning, the people who are your friends, right? Yeah. The people who you mm. like were in Facebook groups with and in, you know, programs with um, yeah. people you interviewed who were just like not on board with it. Mm. Uh, now is a different time. It's mm -hmm. a different time. So um, that shifts things as well, I think, because I think, and it's not to say that, we're not still having to make this case. And I hate this idea of like, we have to make this case that our humanity matters, that we matter. Mm. We're still having to assert and affirm that black lives matter, mm. but it's now a conversation in the mainstream. Yeah. And it wasn't before. Yeah. And I think it's also, it's a conversation is what you're just saying about, um, making a case it's a, it's a conversation that more people are opting into yes and, and feeling like they no longer have a choice to opt out of yeah yeah exactly it was it was a, it was optional it's still optional yeah. <laughs> but it was it was optional in a whole other way a few years ago I think it's been for me just kind of I've been really interested in listening to black people speak from different parts of the world about yeah. how they are 
um navigating this i had yeah. there's a, i have a colleague at work who's american and she was just like as an american in england this is this is a lot for her to kind of see like she has all the i suppose the um residual trauma from growing up in the states right and now experiencing black lives matter over here it was it was right. a lot for her and just like for me like notice like walking throughout east london and seeing um a lot of white people have signs in their houses now yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean things like and, white silence is violence i'm like wow I'm like, <laughs> like, you guys are really loud about yeah. it <laughs> You're like, are, are, you, are we allowed to say this out loud? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's different. It's like, mm-hmm. um, oh, I, I haven't probably really unpacked it enough, but it doesn't, it feels like they are, um, I don't know, really kind of riling themselves into some movement. Yeah. So quickly. Like, it's like, yeah. 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 And I'm like, are you? And is this like, like and this is like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've I've been saying recently in some interviews that I understand the urge, like the energy of urgency that people are coming into it with, and and it is urgent, but it's been urgent for hundreds of years. So I kind of feel like that kind of side eye, you know, like oh now it's urgent, you know, yeah, Um, and like you said, it's like it's so it's it's so much energy that I feel like sometimes people are not taking the time to actually thoughtfully sit with everything that they are learning and hearing and understanding. It seems with some people that it's more about consuming as many books, our articles, podcasts mm-hmm. as possible. Mm-hmm. And what I don't want is for people to get so burnt out because they try to run a sprint when it's supposed to be a marathon yeah and they get tired and then they go back to how they were before but now it's worse because they feel like they did something for a while yeah 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 talking about you spoke a little bit about uh, how long we've been in each other's spaces and that like this is yeah. the whole reason why i wanted to kind of interview you because i've watched in awe um the universe throw you into a tornado (laughs) and me and I'm quite I am quite introverted as well like I I can do the ambivert thing but I'm just like how have you been like how have you been doing this um so for those who don't know Layla wrote a article blog post in 2017 and I always I always mess this title up a tiny bit but it's why I need to talk to spiritual white women it's called it's called, I need, it's called, I need to talk to spiritual white women about white supremacy. That's what it was. Yeah. I read that and everybody else did. And it got, and when I read it, um, as someone who like did, I was in spiritual spaces. I did the whole yoga thing and went to mm-hmm. meditation circles. I was, I was always the only black person sometimes yeah. in those spaces, unless I was going with my one black friend, like it was always like that. So kind of, I had never thought about it. it. I had been separating my identity from my spirituality. Yeah. As yeah. probably a lot of other people had. As, as had I. Yeah, yeah. As had I, right? So that was where that was coming for, from for me, that coming into my own racial awakening. Yeah. Of, like, I, I had been doing this healing work and this work around healing my... Um, you know, kind of like 
sexism and patriarchy and all of that and feminism. Mm -hmm. And it was quite a big shock to me to realize I am a white feminist. Mm, (laughs) I am talking about the healing journey of what it means to be a woman. And I'd never considered what it specifically meant to be a black woman. Yeah. And you look around you and all the people who are around you are white women and you realize you're alone. Um, quite a, yeah, rude awakening. Yeah. And so when I read that, um, like exactly, it was, it was a rude awakening for me because I suddenly realized for me, I, at the time I was working in a school, so you were speaking to spiritual white women and I was looking at the teachers like, this applies to you. <laughs> like, yeah. You guys are, you know, I've always worked in predominantly um, black and brown spaces when it comes to the students and the young people, but always yeah. predominantly white spaces when it's the staff. Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. me, I, was, like, I, I did obviously resonate with the spiritual white women, but I was thinking that this is as important for people working in education, teachers, yeah. as well as it is for other people. And so I, I, know I shared it with some, some staff and then people stopped speaking to me, obviously. I kind of ostracized myself from that way. I had to leave wow. after wow. a bit. Um, wow. And yeah, I mean, I've had some conversations with some of the, as a result of Black Lives Matter this year, like, yeah. you know, a couple of them have reached out to me and been like, whoa, we were out of line. Um, wow. But yeah, that it was my whole, me leaving education was a result of me not being able to be my full self in 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 education in a space where 90 percent of the kids are black and brown and 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 that must be cause a a really um strange sort of cognitive dissonance and it's interesting that you that you say that about the school because my kids are in the same situation in their school Mm-hmm. And we're in the Middle East. They're in a school yeah. that is multicultural in the student body. Mm-hmm. But I think 99% of the teachers are white. And this are, is they international? are they international? Have they all come from other places? Yeah, so it's a British school. So it's largely British um, teachers, you know, English, Irish. Um, and I've raised the issue of, you know, what, what's, what's going on? And their excuses mm. haven't, haven't uh, satisfied me. Mm-hmm. And I think now, and, and as they, we go into the new school year, we're going to be having a number of <laughs> conversations. More conversations. Uh, because again, now it's become globally unacceptable yeah. to not look at this. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I could go on about education for a long, a long time because one of the systems within the UK is um, they have charities that um, pick students from more affluent unis to do teacher training courses and then dump them into schools in deprived areas and so what happens wow. is that you're yeah it's like my mind i'm i'm still clawing back some of my mental health and my experiences of what i've experienced i can imagine <laughs> what they do is that they go you have to have a first in order to be on the course and you have to have attended one of the top unis and so essentially what happens is that you get shitloads of 21 year old middle class upper middle class white people that have literally lived on farms thrown into schools in the middle of I don't know Birmingham or London or Manchester or just like places that have you know socioeconomic depravity yeah and and they're and they're sent to those schools and 
truthfully on white saviorism missions. That's my personal. This, I mean, no, no, this is entirely what this is. This so, is and I've entirely worked, what this is. And I've worked in at least four or five schools with cohorts of those teachers. And so the, the energy of saviorism and, you know, the centering and all of that, um, and, and like I said, me always being one of few black staff, if not the only, and having just this kind of mindset about like what the hell is happening and then speaking right. about it and no one listens. It's, it's a whole thing. And so, and so when it comes to education, I've, I don't have children and I'm, I've always thought, I don't know if I could put my kids into that space, into, into educational spaces because of, because of this, yeah, because of this and how damaging that is. And I don't know, I may change my mind on that at some point, but I haven't seen anything from schools as of yet. Um, when it comes to, I'm not seeing schools do anything, even when it comes to like releasing their black square in a statement, like I haven't yeah. even seen, I'm not even seeing the performances. This is, this is why, right. <laughs> this is why I'm, I'm excited about doing this young readers edition because yeah. I want it to be, um, a tool for, for all kids to be able to talk frankly and directly about white supremacy. Yeah. And I think, um, oftentimes I think people think, well, it's, it, maybe it's too triggering or upsetting for kids, yeah. especially white kids who are not used to having racial conversations, but mm. truthfully kids often teach adults yeah. um, because they're more open, they're more open-minded yeah. and they will challenge something when it's wrong mm -hmm. in ways that adults are, are just trying to sweep stuff under the rug. So yeah. 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 On that, I will say this before we kind of move on to our first official question. <laughs> During the whole Black Lives Matter at the very, very beginning, I had some of the um, some of the kids from the old school that I worked and some of the white kids do a whole Instagram live about Black Lives Matter and, and the roles that they could play. And they asked me to come on and speak about stuff. Wow. And then some of them DM'd me after. So they're brave. These 17, yeah. 18 year olds, they're so much yeah. brave. And they, and they don't center themselves in the same way that the adults do. And so no. they're like, I, I, I really love working with that age group because they are yeah. they're radical in their own way. Um, yeah. but back to your blog. So you wrote this article, you put it out, it went viral, stupidly yeah. viral. <laughs> and and you, you know what? I had 400 people on my mailing list. Like, uh -huh. like, before. and I've been, be, 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 so that's who it went out to. That's who I emailed uh, it out to. Right. right so, okay, yeah. And I had been cultivating that list for a number of years to get yeah. it to 400. Right. So I was like, this isn't going to go that far, you know? No, that's not what happened. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. It went. It went super far. Mm -hmm. As as things evidently started to change and momentum started to pick up around that blog initially, mm. um, what was coming up for you, like emotion wise, and kind of like how were you kind of preparing yourself, if at all? So, I I think. One of the things that I'm really grateful for is that about a year earlier, I'd written another blog that had gone viral. Okay. And that was my first experience of it. So that was 2016. It wasn't about race, actually. It was about the coaching industry. Mm -hmm. um, but that was the first time I ever went viral. It was... Um, like, just thinking about it, I like, my heart starts, like, beating really fast because... Um, suddenly a huge spotlight is on you. Yeah. And that's not what you intended. 
Yeah. And, and as an introvert, it's not what makes you feel comfortable either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the noise of it was, was, was too much for me. And the speed with which everyone now wants to interview you, hear from you, get your hot take on everything yeah. um, was a bit too much for me. And one of my fears, and it's why I kind of, when that happened, I actually uh, stepped, I stepped back because mm-hmm. one of my uh, values is around integrity and that is very closely linked with alignment. I felt like um, I suddenly got on a roller coaster that I didn't need to get on or, or I got on and it was going at a speed that was faster than what was comfortable for me. Yeah, yeah. And that I was just supposed to go along with it. And mm-hmm. so I had to, I was like, no, I'm going to pull the brakes. Like I'm pulling the emergency stop mm-hmm. because I need to catch up with what the hell just happened here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and so I found that when it happened in 2017, because I'd gone through the whole experience of it, you know, one of the things that also came up for me when I went viral in 2016 was um, what Brene Brown calls the, the vulnerability hangover, right? Like, yeah. You've suddenly been seen in this big way and it's not what you wanted. And now everyone sees you and um, is very uncomfortable feeling. So I'd gone through all of that in 2016 when it happened in 2017, even though it happened, I would say it was uh, many times, many times bigger, many, 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 many times bigger than when it Mm -hmm. had happened in 2016. I'd had some sort of training um, and I knew that I could control the speed of it. Okay. Um, I, f- I felt a sense of um, like autonomy and uh, like, it, I don't have to let this go the way other people think it should go. Mm. But what was different this time was that it was a racial conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what almost completely burnt me out um, was that I wasn't ready as one black Muslim woman to have a conversation with thousands thousands and thousands of white people who were very upset and very, you know, the white fragility um, Mm. was triggered by this um, and and having their projections put onto me about what they thought was my issue, Mm. right? I wasn't ready for that. And I didn't, even though I'd written that article, I actually didn't know how violent white fragility could be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so that was, a, a lot. And I, I had to learn from there from 2017 onwards about practices around boundaries and self-care and things of that nature, because in those first, I would say between, so I published that letter in August of 2017 by December, I wasn't okay. Like December, January, February, it was just this like continual um, deterioration. And mm. I was like, uh, I'm not going to survive this. Like at what cost do white people get to learn? Well, I die from the inside, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you say, so you, you say that you wasn't okay, but that was because you were having to consist like constantly argue your case with white people. It was, that that. was part, that was part of it. I think also just being in a nonstop cycle of anger. Mm. Okay. You will, will, will yeah. kill you slowly yeah. over time. Right. will poison your, you know, everything inside. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having to both process having an outward conversation with people where I'm suddenly seen now as, an, as some sort of expert or voice, right? Mm-hmm. And processing my own, like I said, my own racial awakening. That, that part is major because yeah. 
this Black Lives Matter movement, I've had so many conversations with my black friends about their our what this blackness. Brings up. Yes. For us. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that is something that people like know or assume or consider that as much as white people are now navigating this new thing, we are also like really like I suppose like coming to terms with things that we haven't had time to process because the world moves so right. quickly. It's and like we- wounds just being opened yeah, up and yeah. now we have to sit with them and it's like part of survival within white supremacy is just keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving. Don't think how, about it. Um, that affects us all. Right. <laughs> that affects us all, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. I know I have reached out to, because I'm sure that you, this has happened to you. Suddenly everyone wants to hear from us. Mm-hmm. So everyone is following our platforms. You know, everyone wants to hear from us. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, I need you to understand how you know i need white people to understand how that feels for us yeah that it's it's like first of all it's coming off of the back of the horrific murder of a black man yeah and then suddenly we're we're supposed to put aside our feelings and be grateful that white people are now showing up my thing yeah no 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 come on I was going to say, and even that showing up isn't really, it's just, it's just opening the door and entering the room, right? I just felt like, and you said to me that you had, is it 200,000 followers? As a result of of this new Black Lives Matter recently? uh, More than half a million followers. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Every time it just keeps going up and up. Yes. I yeah. had I had about a thousand, so like, and that was enough. But it's but it but it's but it's not about the number; it's the proportion of what you were used to. But before, this is right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, what I felt like was wow, like we weren't seen before. Like I yeah. wasn't seen. I wasn't. I wasn't acknowledged. Like right. I wasn't. I I I didn't exist before. Like I felt like not in terms of like my own personal self-worth, but in terms of how I'm assumed, like assuming that this is how white people, they didn't consider us as, as a thing. No. It's like, where did, where did all of you come from? Like, right. I don't, that yeah. to me is, is It's like, mind-boggling. Right? Yeah, like it's, when you're trying to break it down, it's like, oh no, you see us. And it, obviously people like yourself. But they don't, but this is the thing. It's, they don't really see us. Mm. You, it, it's not seeing us if the only reason you're here is because of black death. If yeah. all the time we were sharing our podcasts and our programs and sharing black joy mm. and all of these other things, and that wasn't enough for you to see us, but because of what this time is bringing up in your um, own feelings of guilt and shame, that that's why we, you are now entering into our spaces. Mm. So it's still about centering whiteness. It's still it's yeah. very extractive around what can I get from you? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm happy that you said that because I suppose that's, prob- that's been the thing that I've been trying to kind of like negotiate within myself. Like this feels icky. Yeah. You know, you don't have the words to kind of put it together. Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't okay. I mean, and, and I know um, other 
authors, like anti-racism authors whose books are doing really well right now. I'm really grateful that my book is on these lists. Yeah. But it makes me feel some kind of way why yeah. they're on those lists. Yeah. Right. And, and so what am I supposed to do? Do I celebrate? Do I feel sad? Do I feel mm -hmm. angry? Do I feel, do I feel nothing? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I, I don't think that, like, as you said, that people who are not black really are considering all the nuanced emotions that we're feeling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. With this, when your, when your 2017 blog went viral, and like you said, you were able to kind of like now navigate through at your own pace and, and I suppose drive your own car. Yeah. This new viral moment. Because it was so much bigger, was there anything that kind of old programming within you that kind of was holding you back from stepping into, like fully stepping into this place mm. that being called into? I think the old programming that came up was probably like imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, that's something that I can say today isn't inside of me anymore. I can say that, yeah. Um, but it's taken that much time to, mm -hmm. to heal that. Um, and, and it's very much closely linked to white supremacy, actually. Yeah. Um, and this idea of always having to work, you know, twice as hard to, to be as far. And this idea of not being valid, or as you said, not being seen. And plus just my own, like me, Layla, as mm -hmm. my own personal journey. Um, so I think that was partly there and I know it was there because many times, like you said, like the universe was like, do this work. And I was several times like, I don't think I'm the right person for this work. Yeah. I don't think I'm the right person for this work. So I would take steps forward because of what was inspired to me to say or to write. Hmm. And then that program would would come back up and say you're not the one like there are other experts who, who who did this work you don't you haven't you just start you just wrote a post right you just wrote an article who are you to to have this conversation um and at some point i think when you keep being called back again and again and again to something you keep trying to say no to mm. at some point you just have to be like oh okay i can't do this this is this is um this is where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Um, and uh, I'm wasting time, essentially. Every oh, time. Yeah, I'm wasting time <laughs> saying no and, right. and playing small and running away. Yeah. That is, I, that's something that I completely, I feel like I'm in that part of my life right now. Where I'm like, yeah. oh no, you, you, you like, <laughs> it's almost like if you can imagine like um, you're in a house and like God is your parent and he's outside like, yeah. And you know, I, I had this, I had this um, realization in 20, it would have been 20, how old is my son? He was born 2014. It would have been 2013. Mm. In 2013, I was, I think, just about turning 30 and um, was not in, like, I looked at my life and I was like, I'm not happy with anything. I'm not happy with the work that I'm in. I'm not happy in how I feel about myself. Like the only thing I'm happy about is I love my marriage. I love my husband. I love my child. Yeah. Um, but everything else isn't right. And the main thing that isn't right is a, there's this part of me that knows I'm supposed to be on a different path and mm -hmm. I'm not on it. Mm -hmm. And I am, if I don't make the choice now to pursue it, then this, 
this life that I'm living now will be my life for the rest of my life. And I remember going into work one day and I used to go into, this is the introvert. I used to go into work early so that I can get some work done before other people arrive. Yeah. So you can center yourself. I can center myself. Like I'm, I'm not ready to deal with all the extroverts yet. Like, let me just settle in. So I used to always going to work early and I sat down at my desk, opened my laptop. I was checking my emails. And then I had this outer body experience where I felt myself float out of my body go up and look down at myself. Mm. And I suddenly just laughed out loud. And it was like the funniest thing to me. What was funny was, why are you sitting here in this chair, in this career, in this path, when this isn't your life? Wow. You know, this isn't what you're supposed to be doing at all. You're supposed to be out there doing something big, changing the world, helping people. Like that's what you're supposed to be doing. And I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing, but I just knew it wasn't this, it was that. So it's so interesting because you saw my questions already. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I was so excited to have this conversation with you because I was like, that's what happened to me. The reason why the, ugh, I'm really intuitive and I feel like I need to kind of own that a little bit more. The reason yeah. why I asked you is because, because I've, I feel like similar to you, like I'm 33. Yeah. So I feel like if I don't do something now, yeah. Yeah. like I'm going to be living this for yeah. longer than I'd like. That's right. And there's also something in the back of my mind that from when I was really, really young, that I know there's something that's going to yeah. be a thing. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And yeah. so I wanted to know whether you had that thing too. I, well, I just knew that there was, and I'd always known that. I think I'd always known that from when yeah. I was young. I'd yeah. always known this. So and then I'd had, I, it is so fascinating. And I'd had ex- experiences in university where I really struggled a lot with um, depression and anxiety. And in mm. doing my own healing work through that, when I came uh, out of the fog, basically, out of the other side mm. of that, I remember making a promise to myself that the pain that I had gone through wouldn't be in vain, that I would use whatever I had learned to help other people. Mm-hmm. So that cemented even more that that's what my purpose is, is to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, I, I bounced around between so many different careers and paths mm-hmm. from when I graduated with my law degree, my bachelor's law degree in um, 2005, up until finally making that choice in 2013 that I need to do something. I did, I was, I worked in corporate tax. I worked as a corporate trainer. I mm-hmm. worked as a health coach, a graphic designer, marketing, like so many different things, which by the way, all things that I am still able to call on lessons I learned wow. in yeah. all of them. Yeah, so yeah. none of it was wasted. I remember at the time just feeling like I'm this jack of all trades, which means I'm not an expert in anything, mm-hmm. um, which means I don't have value, mm-hmm. you know? And now I look back and I'm like, Thank God I did that law degree because it taught me how to think, mm. you know, it, yeah. it taught me how to think analytically. Thank God I did that, you know, that work around design and marketing because that helps me as a business owner. Yeah. You know, so all of it is all relevant. Of it <laughs> the life I, coaching, it, it, the life coaching, when you read my book, you can tell this is somebody who is steeped in personal growth work, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So 
all of it, it makes sense when you look back, but not when, you look not when you're in it and you're stressing. Because <laughs> you're absolutely right. Like, just to kind of like align with what you're saying, like, my background is working with young people, but it's specifically in creative spaces. So, I yeah. have always, I used to dance and I used to sing and then I used to mentor in those spaces. And then I used to connect young people to mentors. And I've done a lot of stuff within creative and young people. And yeah. so now I, I have a very clear vision about like what I want to do when it comes to creating a business around that and yeah. if I hadn't spent umpteen hours in the studio trying to lay a track myself you I wouldn't know <laughs> even though you I have no, I have no right. desire to be a singer now but like right back then it was important like it was important for me to understand the behind the scenes of a production of a, of a, of a dance show or a play right or, or a, a track or anything like that um so yeah I I am able to now piece those things together in the same way that you said, but it is really hard when you're in it. And it's, it's very and hard. It's, when so you're in hard. It. it's so hard now when I speak to younger people and they're like 18 and they're in it and I'm just like, it's going to be okay. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. What I mean, it's going to be okay. And when I think about my husband and I often reflect on this, that I've had more growth in the last, what, since 2017 in the yeah. last three years. three years in my career than I did in all of those years since uh, 2005. Wow. And uh, at the same time, I wouldn't have been able to handle it if it had happened in my mid twenties. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, the universe knows. Like, you just have to. I think what I've got from my personal growth is um, the, it, everything happens when it's supposed to. But like, whatever hardship you're going through right now, your task is to stay present in that yes. and figure yes. that bit out. Yeah, because it's. Because I'm a, I want to always run. Like I'm always wanting yes. to be. What am I gonna do? like? Because I can see all of these great things that I could potentially do. But the lesson is figure out what is being presented to you right now. You know, and and the more that yeah. you do that, the more that you're able to then be graceful in the next step. And I think it's really important not to underestimate the amount of personal healing work that you yeah. that we need to do before we are expecting that we would be able to handle being in the public yeah. spotlight in a way where we don't fall apart because yes. being in, in the public spotlight may look very attractive, but mm. there are so many things behind the scenes that people are dealing with that they can't talk about or they won't talk about or, you know, whatever it is. And I thank God that mm -hmm. I have the strength and resilience that came from mm -hmm. the whole journey mm -hmm. that, that where I had to like, claw myself back to wellness, claw yeah. myself back to wholeness, yeah. heal those stories about myself that I'm telling myself yeah. um, so that I'm not using, and especially because we're talking about young people right now, young people oftentimes really want what's attractive out there to be Instagram famous or to be YouTube yeah. famous or whatever it is. And um, it, it can be very dangerous if you want that because you want other people to like you because you don't like you. And you yeah. think that if other people will like you, then you will like you. Yeah. Um, that personal healing work, which is ongoing and is, and is lifelong work. Um, but just being able to say, I have a foundation mm -hmm. <laughs> within myself, right? Where I won't abandon myself. I won't betray yeah. myself. I won't run away from myself. Mm -hmm. um, and as somebody who's done that many times, ran away from myself, betrayed myself and so on and so forth and had to come back and, and sit with myself and, mm -hmm. and say, these are all the ugly parts of myself that I don't want anyone to see. I and, think it's, yeah, <laughs> no, I just, I was just going to say, and, and, and sitting with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I think it's really incredible and so important for someone like yourself who is in the public eye, who has written a book, who, you know, who's, who's had, had success to talk about that part. Because I think that, I just don't think that people, I'm all about holistic, personal, professional healing. Every, like we don't, we do, I don't want to ever separate parts of who I am because they all need to be healed and ready and whole in order for me to access the next and I understand that about everybody because it's kind of like um the people that I look up to are very open about the work that they do outside of their professional stuff right I just don't think I just don't think it's spoken about enough or if it is spoken about it's not platformed enough um so I, I think it's really like important that you said that bit I, yeah well anytime anyone interviews me I always want to like slip that in somehow you know, because, <laughs> because yes like I I don't want to undervalue the it's hard work hard. that I've done right I don't, yeah. well, don't want to undervalue the fact that I have built myself I have done the work to earn the place that I'm in now yeah uh, that the that work right mm-hmm. the, the the work of writing the book the researching all of that i've done that work but but the work behind the scenes is actually more important to me mm-hmm. um and and that outer work wouldn't exist without the inner work yeah and i wouldn't be able to yeah. be who i am in the way that i am without that inner work mm-hmm. so uh it should be something that we that we talk about and and the other thing about being seen is that the bigger you get, the, the less human people seem to think you are. Yeah. And I think it's important to have conversations to remind people we are they all are. human beings. <laughs> all of us are human beings. All of us. Like that's part of why I think we're talking about right, vulnerability. I think part of why people don't want visibility mm. is because we know how we treat people who are visible. Yeah. And we wow. don't want that to happen to us. Wow. Yeah. Like yeah. we're right now, I mean, wow. the time that we're recording in right now, there's all the memes coming out, right? About entanglement and Jada mm. and Will Smith. And I'm like, I'm not watching that episode because someone else's marriage is none of my business. Is none of my business. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's almost like, well, you know, well, they're famous, so we can just say whatever. Yeah. You know, so I'm just like, no, because that means that it, you, you will not put yourself to that level because you don't want yeah. that to happen to you. Yeah. And I, yeah. I appreciate your voice on that because I did watch it, but I will be 100% honest. I, I you, you have your higher self in your, right? <laughs> <laughs> so my higher self was like, I don't want to click on this video because it feels like I should not be privy to this conversation. That's right. That's how I feel. <laughs> but the other part's like, I want to like, understand the memes. I want to understand yeah. what the memes mean. Right? And, so, and so when I watched it, I, my, 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 I was tense the whole time. Yeah. And cause, because it was, it was an incredibly private conversation. And we're looking at two people that have been married for 25 years. And, and have and children. And have children. And, have, and it's like, and have been incredibly private up until this yeah. moment. Right. And because they deserve their privacy, like, right. And so like everything that you've just said, I completely, I completely agree with. I do. I want to move on to our questions because I just feel like we <laughs> just to make sure that I ask them. Um, so support, I feel like I'm coming into a space now with my own personal journey where I'm like, I need, I need, I need people planted in support spaces around me because yeah. 
we grow like together like you're not an island no um, and and they <laughs> that could be a nutritionist and a personal trainer or a spiritual life coach or whatever like what did support look like for you and how did you kind of figure out I'm assuming you have support. I, I, I'm making. This I have very easy. strong support. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. Figure out what you needed, like in terms of to do what. I think that I've been very blessed in that in God giving me the calling that He gave me. He also gave me the people around me who mm. I would need in order to do what I do in the world. So, you know, I've been married to my husband for 12 years now. Like mm-hmm. he is the exact person I need. First of all, he's the, he's the person who from day one, when I was like, I think I want to like study life coaching, but I don't know what anyone else will think. And he's like, you should go, you should do it. You should do it. He's the person from day one. Who's always told me, Layla, I think you're supposed to be a writer. I don't think you're supposed to do these other things. Yeah. Right. He's the person who, um, right now is out with the kids because he's always trying to make space for me to do my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's my, he's my rock. And, and, you know, with my, with him, with my, um, my family who, um, it, t- <laughs> it took them a couple of years to, to, to catch up to what I was doing. They, especially my parents who were like, you, you have a law degree. You're supposed to go off and be a lawyer. And I'm like, I'm going to go try all these other things. And they just didn't really get it for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think now they understand why I needed to, to, to forge my own path. And they are my biggest advocates. Like the family WhatsApp group is very lit. Like in every day, we're, yeah. <laughs> every day we're having conversations around racism and white supremacy, but also um, around family, you know, and togetherness. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, I have very solid friendships. Um, and over the last couple of years, I've learned a really important lesson around not, not everyone that you're connected to online is your friend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and that you actually don't need all these friends. You just need a few really solid friends mm-hmm. who you trust, who have, mm-hmm. um, that you have mutually respectful and mutually nurturing uh, relationships with. Mm-hmm. So I can count them like, pretty much I think on one hand or one and a half hands who those mm-hmm. people are. And then I have a very solid team as well. But again, God brought them to me. I'm just like, I have the best agents, uh, agent, I have the best uh, publisher, you know, and, and so on and so forth. Um, I think it's important, like you said, to, to understand none of us is an island. Mm-hmm. And um, part of being a black woman, part of one of the stereotypes that we have is, be the strong woman, so I mean, strong yeah. black woman, right? Do it all yourself and so on. And um, my former mentor was really helpful in many things and, and is, was a, a huge part of my healing journey. Mm. Um, but one of the things that she really held up the mirror to me uh, about is that I had that. I didn't think I had that strong black woman thing. I did not think that was me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it became very clear that I didn't find it easy to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Even though people are around me who are like, we are here to help you. We want to help you. We want to help you. (laughs) I wouldn't, I would just sit with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I've really become, I'm really becoming well-practiced in asking for, for help Mm -hmm. and, uh, and not seeing, not seeing myself as a burden to others for asking for help. I, I was um, on someone else's podcast this morning and it's so interesting. They asked me about what I think about the strong black woman. 
And so yeah. like I've had a conversation about this already today. So it's like front of mind. And I was just thinking that it's um it doesn't serve us, but it's so interesting. It comes from it comes from society making black women have to carry more than yeah. they should. Like it's it's like we're strong by default. Like we've, right. we've had to become this thing. And yeah. so why is that something that I should it's, it's a stereotype right it's a stereotype yeah. it's something that's romanticized it's something yeah. that's kind of put on a pedestal so, something supposed like we're supposed to celebrate it to celebrate know? it and so yeah. like this whole idea that i'm supposed to be trying to be a strong black woman when the strong black woman became a thing because she had no support because her husband right. was taken out of the house right. because society systemic issues allowed made right. that a thing like it just it really that 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 trope I think they say like yeah yeah, yeah. is um is really damaging um and I suppose I suppose in some ways you know with the Destiny's Child era the strong black woman became <laughs> the, the independent woman right. as I'm yeah, yeah. there's like... that as well there is <laughs> that Miss Independent and Independent Woman and all of those songs um but it's, it's, a, very... it's a real it's, sorry it's just a kind of on the whole kind of yeah. thing like even to yesterday I was at my friend's baby shower and as I was leaving her house my bag broke. Yeah. I had um, a um, like a canvas bag, you know those bags. Yeah, yeah. I think where they're called right there. And her husband was like, "Do you want another bag?" I got, I got and I was like, "No, no, 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 it's okay." Wow. And I was like, "Whoa, like, <laughs> what's that about?" <laughs> yeah, what the hell was that? <laughs> like, um, and so it's like, I have two options: I can go home with my broken bag, or I can, <laughs> I can accept help. Right. in the form of a bag a perfectly working yeah. bag that he's going to give to me for free right and i can and i can i can not struggle you yeah. know so yeah. there's that there's kind of like you've you've had to unlearn that kind of like oh i can ask for help i can be supported i can trust these people around me to do yeah the best thing I, and I, what i what i love well, i want to say two things one of them is that i'm redefining what strength is for me and yeah. strength is so much wider than that trope for me and, and part of strength is vulnerability and part of it is yeah. resilience and part of it is um you know like having the strength to like resist the tropes and, and all that strength is becoming a much wider definition for me mm -hmm. um, but i'm also grateful that you know i talked about the friendships that i have and the friendships that i have are mainly with black women and they are black women who are in their own healing work. And yeah. they remind me, you can ask me for help, yeah. you know? Um, and, and it's so, it's such a gift to be in friendships and in relationships with people who are on their own healing journeys, mm -hmm. because they can see when you're going back to a pattern that's not helpful for you mm -hmm. um and and can call you call you in and say i'm here mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and and we've you know one of my friends in particular is um you know she'll say to me if i can't do it i'll tell you i'll tell you what my limit is i've started to say that to people yeah. it's like i'm the person who manages my boundaries that's right you need to ask right <laughs> So then I, instead of yeah. me trying to be responsible for everyone and their energy and what mm -hmm. I know about them is just ask. And if they can't do it, they can't do it. You know? Mm -hmm. How do you see your work evolving? And feel free to not answer that question. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big one, but I, I just feel like, um, that, you know, you will write and then you will do other things. And I just yeah. wonder like if there's something else that you kind of, 
feel comfortable sharing like how do you see yourself kind of moving forward yeah. I was having a big session with myself yesterday on this mm -hmm. so you you asked you're asking the question at the right time mm -hmm. there are certain things that I haven't yet shared publicly that mm -hmm. are you know coming in in how um more things that I'm going to be offering that's aligned with with me and white supremacy yeah um so that is happening and um the the work it's the calling won't give you the whole map mm -hmm. mm. it will give you it will it will sh you will be shown the next few steps or the yeah. next little bit and mm. when you try to micromanage what you think it should be mm. you interrupt the process i want to clap <laughs> i know that people that are listening like yeah i'm clapping <laughs> Right, <laughs> because I couldn't have known in 2016 that in 2020 I would be, you know, a best-selling author on, with an anti-racism book. Mm -hmm. So if I'm trying to make five-year plans, thinking I know what my life is going to be in five years, I'm trying to micromanage a process that is none of my business. Mm. So my business is just listen right now <laughs> to what, what I'm supposed to do right now. I don't know why I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's none of my business. It's so true. It's so true. It's none of your yeah. business, and it's like, like, but that's a beautiful thing. It's like no guidance. It's very control. freeing. It's but very you, freeing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna let you put together the masterpiece that yeah. you want me to kind of um, walk, and I'm just gonna follow the directions. And I think it's nice to know that all I have to do is be sure about the next few steps. That's it. Like so I think freeing. about like the the authors I have behind me here, right? So Tony Morrison, mm -hmm. Audrey Lord. Octavia mm. Butler, Maya Angelou, prolific writers who couldn't have known when they were in their specific book projects, all the books that they were going to write mm -hmm. in the future. Mm. Um, but it's only when they, when we look back that we see this huge body of work, which makes sense um, when you're looking back. So yeah, it's, it's not my business to try and um, map that out, what I, which is so funny because that was always what I was trying to do before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was always trying to map the big master plan. I'm going to have this and it's going to be this and I'm going to do this. And it's gonna... I don't know that that maybe those things, you know, there's certain things that um, we were looking at a vision board of mine from a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was like, there's so many things that I've done on there, but not only done, surpassed. Yeah. Way sur My vision for what I thought I could achieve was so small yeah. compared to what it has become. Yeah. So, I don't want to get in the way of limiting that either. Um, and there was something else that I was going to say as well around, um, yeah, just, oh, that was it. That the, each step that I take on this journey is, is making certain things clear to me, which is like really just affirming those messages I knew from a young child and a young adult, but I didn't have mm -hmm. the words for it, which is you are here to teach. You mm -hmm. are here to use your gifts of language and communication to be able mm -hmm. to help people to understand things and to change things within themselves so that we can change the world. Um, that's all I need to know for sure. Yeah. You know, and then what mm -hmm. it looks like, trust the process. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you so much, Leila. Thank you so much. I, I, I feel like I could talk to you for so long and hopefully we can do another podcast in yeah. <laughs> a different way in the future. I feel like I now. just caught up with a good friend. That's what it yeah. felt like for me. I'm, I'm happy that you felt like that. That's how I <laughs> like For me, a big part of these conversations and just talking about the vulnerability in our moment, I want them to be inviting. I want people to listen in and not feel on edge because yeah. it's some big thing that they can't um, it's some big hill that they can't see over. It's like, no, right. these are, we're very real people navigating very real things, laughing right. about it because we have to find the joy. Yeah, we in have moments. to. And so like, yeah, like the more that we can laugh and giggle about it, I think the easier it is for people to just feel empowered to yeah. attempt it themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But thank you so much for your time. Can you just let people know where they can find you? Obviously, we'll put it all in the show notes, but just... You thank you. I, I really enjoyed this conversation and thank you so much for, um, for inviting me. Um, people can find me at LaylaFsad.com. Um, you can find uh, my book anywhere that books are sold. Um, it comes in hardback, uh, ebook, and audiobook, narrated by me. Um, mm-hmm. I host a podcast as well called Good Ancestor Podcast, and you can find that anywhere where podcasts are hosted and on YouTube as well. Thank you, Leila. Thank you. If you like this show and the content I'm creating, please subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you listen on. We're on all major platforms, including Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. I'd be super grateful if you not only leave us a five-star rating, but share these episodes with your friends and family so we can keep the conversation about vulnerability going. Please let me know of your favorite part of the show or your key takeaway by messaging me on Instagram at Alyssa Rochelle using the hashtag TheVulnerablePodcast. You can also find us on YouTube and get involved in the conversation over there. I cannot wait to read all of your comments. It will help me to create the content that you want to see and hear in the future. Thanks, guys.